Okay, uh, so now we're on to uh, creation. And uh, done with the doctrine of God, which we spent, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 weeks on. And now we're going on to what God has done. And um, this, uh, today, we're talking about everything that God did. That's all. <laughs> that is everything that he made. And that's, and that's the whole creation. And, um, and so... Um, why did God create the universe? How did God create the universe? And when did God create the universe? Um, I'm going to talk about the why this morning and the how. And, um, and how we should view the creation. That's basically, this morning, we're going to talk about how you should view everything in the world. Everything that you use, everything that you relate to, the, 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 whole, the, whole, create, the whole universe. So we're talking about all of life <laughs> every day, forever, this morning. And it's, uh, it really is, uh, I think, an encouragement for us to um, an encouragement for us to be thankful for the creation and, and to use it uh, with thanksgiving to God and with amazement and wonder at what God has made. So God, this is a summary, and uh, we'll talk about just the, the basics of why God created the universe, how He did it this morning, His purpose. Next week. I'm just going to talk about the creation evolution question and the controversy and how that affects people's thinking about morality and human life and everything like that. So that's, that's next week. And then the third week, I'm going to talk about this very difficult question, how old is the earth um, and the age of the universe and how long are the days of Genesis? So that'll be, that'll be two weeks from now. So that's where we're going. We'll probably spend three days, three Sundays on the doctrine of creation. Uh, God created the universe out of nothing. Wow. Did you ever try that? <laughs> Frank, here you go. Ready? I'm going to give you some stuff. You ready? Now, I'm going to give you some stuff to make a rabbit with. You ready? There you go. <laughs> See if you can make a rabbit out of that. That works, that hops. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> you, you, I mean, <clears throat> we can't make anything out of nothing. We can hardly make anything out of the stuff we've got. I mean, <laughs> but out of nothing. Out of nothing. And then stuff that hops. <laughs> you know, and it goes and eats vegetables, eats, eats the leaves and the flowers in your garden. I mean, just God wanted a rabbit, and there, there he, he spoke and he said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, and pow, there are the living creatures hopping around. I mean, that is amazing, isn't it? It's, it's astounding. I mean, I've, I've heard this, some philosophers say the most baffling fact in the universe is that something is, <laughs> that, that, there, that anything exists. Where'd it come from? Well, there's biblical evidence for creation out of nothing. Before God began to create the universe, nothing else existed except God himself. And he created the universe. And the Latin phrase that's used to talk about this is ex nihilo, out of nothing. Out of nothing, he created the universe. He didn't use other stuff uh, to create it. So uh, we get that in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning of what? Well, the beginning of everything, beginning of time. Um, it's just God was there beforehand, and then he did this in the beginning. That's where the Bible starts. So this is a fundamental doctrine that the Bible wants to tell us about all that God has done. 
Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. So God says, let there be light, and there is light. God says, I'll just, I'll just read some more of these statements. Just... And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. Pow! They are bananas. <laughs> and they come with their own packaging. <laughs> it, it's amazing, you know? And then you just want one, you peel it, and oh, eat it. There's a banana. Incredible. There's asparagus. See, there's parsley. There's spinach. Tomatoes. Good ones. Wow, they're there. And, you know, they, they, and uh, apples. And, and they come with their own kind of protective covering, and you can put them in boxes and carry them around, and they last for quite a while, actually. It's amazing. Let the earth spring, bring forth vegetation. And then flowers. Incredible. Multicolored flowers. We, I don't know, in our, just in the, in the art in our house, even though this is desert, I have blue and yellow and pink and red and, I don't know, all, sort, all sorts of different colors of flowers, and they're beautiful. Let the earth bring forth vegetation. Try it. <laughs> can't do it. Yeah, I can't even, you know, when I plant it, it's hard. And it, <laughs> a lot of them die, but uh, anyway. God made it out of nothing. He just spoke, and it came to be and yielding seed according to its kind so that it isn't just so it isn't just you have to it, it, it isn't just an annual deal it's a perennial deal that is they keep reproducing themselves so that it isn't just that he created flowers and then the next day he's got to make more flowers he created flowers that make more flowers so that's even harder to create a rabbit that makes more rabbits they, <laughs> and they just happen to do that. They kind of figured it out all by themselves. And so they're self-producing, they're self-sustaining economic system. The, the rabbits and the, you know, all those, they, they, and the plants, they, they bring forth vegetation according to their kind. And, uh, and here's, uh, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, that's the sun, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars, let there be lights. There's the sun, pow, it's a million times bigger than the earth, burning with the force of millions of atomic explosions every day, so it's 93 million miles away, and you go outside and it feels warm to you from the power of the, of the radiant energy that's coming out of the sun. Incredible. And the sun is just one of 400 billion stars in our galaxy. You look out at night, you can see 5,000 with your naked eye, if you get out of the city lights, 5,000. There are 400 billion of those stars in our galaxy. And you get the Hubble Space Telescope going out into deep space, and what do we find now? At least 100 billion galaxies. And here's how the Bible summarizes that. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. That's the sun and the moon. And then at the end of the verse, it just throws in, and the stars. 
<laughs> 100 billion galaxies times 400 billion stars in a galaxy. And the stars. <laughs> he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. This is infinite power and infinite wisdom creating an unbelievably beautiful and complex universe with rabbits and bananas and stars. <laughs> and it all works. And it's good for us because we can eat the bananas and chase the rabbits out of our garden. <laughs> or eat the rabbits, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing. The, the universe is amazing. And that God could do this just by speaking, and that his word is so powerful. All things were made through him. All things, all things in the universe. Here it's talking about Christ and his work in creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. I think that when we, when we walk outside and just see the, the flowers, see the plants, see the clouds and the sun, the sky, just uh, the beautiful weather, just see water that's flowing or for, for us to drink, or just go in the grocery store and see the incredible variety of foods that God's put on the earth, uh, we should be saying, Lord, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you, you created all this. So I give you glory. And our hearts should be, I think, more often, not just dull to this, but, but amazed with all the things in the universe that he created. The universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's, is this any, any ancient philosophy that says, oh, matter always existed or, or God just shaped things that were there already? No, uh, it, it was all made by the word of God. Because God created the entire universe out of nothing, there is no matter in the universe that is eternal. Um, but it, he, it, it came into being when he created it. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Uh, before there was anything, God was there. The fact that God created the universe out of nothing means that it has meaning and purpose. It means that the universe is not inherently evil, but is to be used wisely. Now, I was just attempting to use it wisely a few minutes ago when I took that one of those cupcakes made out of lemon, lemon cupcakes back there with the frosting on. And I was, I was just enjoying it and saying, this is good. <laughs> and so I, I think you get in your car, you think, wow. <clears throat> This car is made out of materials that God put in the earth so that people could use steel and aluminum and plastic and rubber and make a car that works and then that we can drive. Amazing that we have that ability and we can uh, move from place to place. Um, the universe has meaning and purpose and, and, and all of it. We shouldn't view it as an enemy. We shouldn't view the creation as something that is just kind of evil and, and we, we don't have the right to... We shouldn't get to, uh, to enjoy it too much or anything like that. Rather, it has purpose, and we're to use it with thanksgiving to God and so that we glorify him and honor him and how we use it. It's not inherently evil, but it is to be used wisely. I just, I just 
was coming out the door, and I grabbed a couple of the things that were there on the counter. Stash orange spice black tea. I don't know where it came from. Maybe India? I don't know. It's tea, anyway. And, and uh, I can just carry this around a little packet, and if I want a cup of tea, just God put those tea plants on the world so that I could have tea in the morning and enjoy a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. That's wonderful. We can use it. Be thankful for it. It's not evil. It's remarkable. Thank you, Lord, for thinking up tea. What else do I have in my pocket? I grab something else off the counter. A battery can uh, run a flashlight or a clock or a lot of other things. God already knew when he created the universe that there would be materials in the earth that we could discover and put into a battery. So actually there's electrical power inside this little thing. It's amazing. It runs and runs. Runs this, you know, I've got a battery that runs that thing, clicks, runs this laser pointer, and a whole bunch of other things. What else is in my pocket? A pen. Whoa, plastic, made out of petroleum, God put in the earth. All we had to do is figure out how to make it into plastic. And then this ink that doesn't leak on my pocket like old pens used to, and, and I can write with it, and I can write notes, and think and get thoughts down. Um, what else is in my pocket? <laughs> ah, Swiss Army knife. Remarkable. Little, what else? <laughs> All these things in creation. This, God, okay, you want something that's strong and, and that'll cut things and open letters and open boxes and, and you can carry around with you and have a little scissors on it, kind of trim your nails so well, I won't go into any more detail on that, but um, there God made, made the earth so that we can have steel, okay? And then wood. Wood is remarkable. You can see, go to Europe and see buildings that are hundreds and hundreds of years old, and they're made out of wood, and you just, you know, you want to build a house? God said, well, here, I'll make some trees. Just cut them down and trim them, and you can make a house out of that. And they last. I don't know, I don't know if wood ever wears out. It just, you can, you can cut it, you can nail it, and it just, it's amazing. Wood's incredible. I'm trying to find something else in my pocket. I think, I thought I had one other thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've got a check here. Somebody paid me yesterday for something. I was speaking over at Biola. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. <laughs> I didn't know if they were going to pay me or not. They did. <laughs> but, but there, there's a little printed thing that represents money. That's incredible. And then... Sky Harbor International Airport parking receipt. I put my credit card in, out comes a little receipt, all printed. God put materials in the earth so ink will work, and it'll stick and it won't run, and it proves that I spent $20 to park my car there for two days, and the machine just does it. I mean, it's amazing creation, and, and it keeps being more amazing. God knew all along that wood could be used for buildings, and, and uh, steel could be used for knives, and he knew that we could make ink out of whatever ink is made out of now. And, uh, and it could be used for writing, so we could, and, it, and he knew that uh, ink could be used for printing things and, and printing Bibles, and it just took a while to discover it, but he had it all in his brain when he said, 
let the earth bring forth this and that. And he commanded, and it stood forth. It was there. It was just incredible richness. How many elements are Somebody's chemist. When I was in high school, there was this periodic table of the elements, and they had 108 or something. And then they keep discovering these new things that, how many elements are there now? 120 or? But some of them are these short-lived kind of invented things that people name after themselves. Well, anyway, all sorts of and then, and then, and then, and then in the universe, this little study guide they got says, um, in one cubic centimeter of air, how am I going to show you one cubic centimeter of air? Well, 2.52 centimeters in an inch, so um, it's less than half an inch cubed. One cubic centimeter of air. Guess how many atoms in one cubic centimeter of air at sea level? A million? Two million? Ten million? Ten million trillion atoms. Well, I don't know how they know it either. <laughs> it's, on this, it's on this little study guide. I don't know. It says it. <laughs> I don't know. Bar Charts Incorporated said it. 10 million trillion atoms. You go out into outer space in the void between the stars, instead of 10 million trillion atoms in air, you go out in the void between the stars in a cubic centimeter as one atom. And between the galaxies, there are big voids as one atom. Amazing. And cells, you know, I, how many cells do you have in your body? I don't know, there's a big number, but, but, but when I figured it out one time, I figured if I, if I took a pen and made a little dot on my arm, that that's about the size that, um, that in that area, there are 10,000 cells, and each of them is like a little intelligent factory. That is, there are some cells that say, act like skin, and they act like skin. There are other cells that say, act like hair, and they act like hair. And there are other cells that say, act like nerves in the eyes, and they act like nerves in the eyes. And they know how to make other cells that act like nerves in the eyes. The other cells say, act like blood. And there are other cells that say, act like brain and help this guy think. And there are other cells that say, act like fingernails. And how they know to do all that, I don't know, but they're really smart, these cells. Well, I mean, God made them all so that they know how to take in materials, take out materials. And people who study cells say every single one of them is like a little factory that has all sorts of activities going on all the time. 10,000 10, 10, of them in a the little tiny dot. Think how many you've got in your body. And they all work right so that the, the bone cells hold your body up. And the muscle cells let your body move. And the eye cells let your body see, and, the, and voice cells let your, you know, vocal cord cells let your body speak. He commanded, and it came to be. Incredible, unbelievable, infinite wisdom going into the creation of all those little tiny cells, of which there are billions and billions in all of our bodies. And you know what? <clears throat> Every single cell in my body is different from every single cell in Garth's body because we've got different DNA codes in our cells. So it isn't just like he made, it isn't just like make a pen and then you make 10,000 of these and they're all the same. It's like make billions of trillions of cells, all of it work the same, but Garth's are different than mine, are different from Sandy's, are different from Charlie's because we all got our own DNA in, those, in every one of those cells. 
So it's like creating a unique thing every time. He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood forth. What a great God we have. What an amazing God we have. Beyond our comprehension, the wisdom involved in all of that. And I don't think we've discovered all of it yet. 100 years ago, people maybe thought they've discovered everything. Then 50 years ago, people thought they discovered everything. And then we discover more things, and more things, and more things, and more stars, and more than we ever thought. And it goes on and on. So the universe has meaning and purpose. It's created that God had a purpose for it, so we shouldn't view it as an enemy. We should be thankful for it and view it as good and to be used wisely. Guess what? More than you see is in the universe. It isn't just the tea bag and the tea leaves and the battery and the pen and the rabbit and the asparagus. It's also there's unseen stuff that God made. And so the creation of the entire universe includes the creation of an unseen spiritual realm of existence. Revelation 10:6, and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. Nehemiah 9:6, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host. And the host is the armies of heaven or all the forces of heaven, the angelic forces that inhabit the heavens that we don't know. Thousands times, 10,000 times 10,000, the angels that we don't see and all of their complexity and how God made them work without any matter. <clears throat> I don't know, but it's another kind of creation. The earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that are in them, and you preserve all of them. That is, he maintains them all, keeps them existing, and the host of heaven worships you. Oh, yes. They look and they see the wonder of the creation, and they worship, and we should. We should say, thank you, God. Oh, Lord, how amazing you are, how wonderful, how powerful, how mighty you are, how wise, how skillful you are that you could make all of this. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created <clears throat> in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, <clears throat> whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So the invisible things also uh, here, talking about Christ, God the Father, speaking through the Son, created the angels and the cherubim and the seraphim and the heavenly creatures that we don't now see. Okay, now we become more specific. The Bible talks about <clears throat> the direct creation of Adam and Eve. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living creature. And there's more uh, than that followed with Genesis 2, 21 to 22. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So we have, in a way, it's uh, kind of, a very summary statement. God said, let, uh, you know, uh, let the earth bring forth vegetation, and it was so. Let the earth bring forth uh, living creatures. Or, or no, it was, it was, what was the phrase here for animals? And uh, just a second. Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to its, their kinds, and it was so. Okay, but then we get very detailed detailed attention to the personal um, creation 
of Adam as not just, you know, hundreds of rabbits, and there they are, but Adam, one person, and then Eve, one person, showing God's personal involvement. It's not like this, and the stars. <laughs> okay, there's all the stars. It's all this detail of forming man carefully and, and building him from the dust of the ground, from the elements in the earth, and then breathing into him and becomes a living being, and then forming Eve and carefully and actually um, um, he, he made into a woman, and that's often, that's the Hebrew word that's often used of, of building or constructing something. He, he built into a woman, that's carefully formed and designed. And so there's God's great attention to detail and I think skill and personal uh, care in the creation of us as men and women. These texts are so explicit and detailed that I really think it'd be difficult to hold to the complete truthfulness of Scripture and hold that human beings are the result of a long evolutionary process at the same time. Um, uh, here's God forming men from the dust of the ground. And even more impossible to reconcile with an evolutionary view is the fact that this narrative clearly portrays Eve as having no female parent. No female parent. She was crea created directly from Adam's rib while Adam slept. And I say that in order to say, I, I understand that there are some evangelical Christians who say, well, I, I believe that God created everything, but he did it through the evolutionary process over billions of years. And so that human beings really descended from pre-human kinds of creatures. And um, then they got more complex, and pretty soon, then, then, they had, then they eventually had language and artistic ability and creative ability and things. Um, but the problem is, on that view, on the view that God guided it all, that view is called theistic evolution, that it's guided by God, on that view, and all evolutionary theories, the very first female human being would have been descended from some nearly human creature. That is, Eve would have had a female parent. But here, Eve has no female parent. That is, she wasn't born of some female creature that was almost human. She was formed directly out of Adam's side. And so the beginning of the human race comes with direct intervention of God. And I just, I, I, I just I, I don't think it's consistent to hold to theistic evolution that God guided an evolutionary process and to say that uh, this is true, that, that this narrative is true. I, I just was talking uh, to people at Biola yesterday. I was over there um, speaking to some students and um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a lecture, a group of lectures. And uh, a few years ago, Biola went through kind of a study group and a policy determination of what you could hold and still be a faculty member there. And uh, they ruled out theistic evolution as something that where uh, someone could say, I, I believe that God guided the evolutionary process, but it still was evolution. And they said, no, I don't think we can be a faculty, you can be a faculty member here and hold that. They gave freedom on whether you think the earth is young or old, uh, 20, 10, 20,000 years old or 4 billion years old. They gave freedom on that, but they didn't give freedom on theistic evolution. I don't know if you've seen one of the best-selling books <clears throat> in the United States right now on Amazon.com or, or religious books is by Francis Collins. He's the director of the Human Genome Project. And the title of the book is The, um, the Voice of God or the, 
the language of God or what? I just, I just, I've seen it a couple times. Hmm? The language of God. And, <clears throat> and this is, <clears throat> this is uh, remarkable because Francis Collins is an evangelical Christian. He's, uh, I think he's Southern Baptist, but he does hold to theistic evolution. And um, so I, I, you know, I, I, I wish he didn't. I'm glad he's a believer. I'm glad he sees that the, that the, um, uh, the DNA code that's in our, in, in our cells of our body, that he sees that as, as God's language, the way God expressed his uh, wonderful wisdom in creation. And he's speaking as a Christian, and I'm sure that that book will have a positive m- impact for people thinking about the Christian faith because of Francis Collins' stature in terms of uh, leading this largest uh, DNA code unraveling project ever in the history of, of the human race. Um, but I'm just saying that there are people who believe that, but I don't, I don't agree with it. I guess that's what I'm saying. Um, we are created in God's image, the pinnacle of God's creation, more like God than any other creature, and appointed over to rule over the rest of creation. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a little more detail when we get to the doctrine of man, man as male and female created in the image of God. But it is a wonderful thing that God created, you know, the, 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 the stars and the sun and the moon and the planets and the vegetation and the animals, and then and the pinnacle of his creation, you and me, man and woman created in his image. And even greater than angels, we're created to rule over the creation and to use it for our benefit. So developing uh, bags that can hold tea and developing flashlights and batteries and cars and all that stuff, I think that's good. Uh, creating things from the creation or, or cooking from food from the creation or painting with the colors and paints from the creation and all that, just taking it and using it, enjoying it, just Oh, wow, God, this is, this is so exciting. Let me see what I can make out of wood. <clears throat> Let me see what I can make out of these paint colors. Let me see what I can make out of this asparagus. I mean, all this stuff is just having fun with the creation. Let's see what I can make out of these chemicals. See if I can make a battery. Oh, yeah, I can make a battery. It's, that's the kind of deal that I think God wants us to do and just be rejoicing in and thankful for it because he's given it to us. He's given it to us. It's a remarkable creation to use and rule over and enjoy not to misuse, but to use wisely. And then the scriptural, this scriptural perspective gives us the human significance that God intends us to have. From an evolutionary perspective, if you don't see, now if, just pure evolution, <clears throat> if you don't see God involved in creating all this, then you look around and you say, oh, it's just a lot of matter out here and we're just part of it. It's really hard to see how there can be any kind of eternal human significance. And so I think this, I, when people buy into not even theistic evolution, but just kind of secular, pagan evolution. There is no God, and everything just came about by atoms churning around and forming us. It's hard to see how you can get any human significance. Well, what am I here for, then? I'm just the result of matter plus time plus chance, and there's no purpose. There's nobody that's going to give me meaning for my life, and it leads to a lot of modern despair. That is, people thinking, oh, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just, I'm just, another, I'm just a higher animal. And I'm not sure why animals are here either. I'm not sure why anything's here. And so then you get despair because you say, What's good? what good is my life? Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to grow old, I'm going to die, and that's it. And then, and then it would be very discouraging. And that, I think, that the acceptance of the myth that everything came about by evolution, the acceptance of that myth as the explanation for all of life really has led to a lot of despair when people think about it. And 
uh, and then people despair, but we can't live that way. So then you get mysticism and all these kind of strange religious ideas, and people start buying into it just because they want to hope in something. And so there's a harm that comes from people's ideas, wrong ideas of creation. The creation of time, I talked about this when we talked about God's eternity, so I'll just mention it again. I think in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's also when he created time, the succession of moments one after another. And God, exist, God existed before time. Uh, God is great. We know, we know him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, that means the beginning and the end. He, he is and who was and who is to come. God is over and above time, but he created time along with the material universe. And just that's a reminder of his lordship over it and our obligation to use it for his glory. And we should use time well because God rules over it and he wants us to imitate his stewardship of time. So we're to redeem the time, uh, says Galatians, because the days are evil. And, um, um, and now I'm just going to tell you for... I don't know. Oh, wait, we've got to get out of here at 9.15 today, don't we? Well, I'm going to tell you a time story anyway because it, I don't know why. Um, I have this wonderful little alarm clock that I travel with that's radio uh, synchronized, so it connects to some national timekeeping standard place in Colorado. And so it's always correct right to the second. It's a wonderful travel alarm that I carry with me. And um, I was over in, at Biola speaking Friday and Saturday. So Friday night, I spoke. We went out to dessert with some faculty members. Came back, finally got to bed. And oh, I got to get up at 6.30 tomorrow morning because they're going to pick me up at 7.30. So, so, I, so I set the... So I, so I look, and my clock is still on Chicago time because that's where I was earlier. And so, okay, so I set the clock for California time. Then I set the alarm for 6.30. I go to bed, and oh man, when that alarm went off, I was so tired, I could hardly get up. I got dressed, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, you know, clunking around this apartment they put me in, and, and it's dark outside, and I'm trying to wake myself up, and I'm struggling, I get all dressed, get ready, because they're gonna pick me up at 7.30 and get me breakfast. And finally, I put on my watch, and it says five. And I thought it was 7, according to my alarm clock. Well, my wonderful radio-synchronized alarm clock still thought it was back in Chicago, and it connected to Colorado in the middle of the night and reoriented itself to central time and got me up at 6.30 in the morning Chicago time, which is 4.30 in the morning Los Angeles time. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I thought it was... <laughs> No, I'm all dressed and everything. I took off my clothes and went back to bed for 45 more minutes or so. It, it was a futile effort, but anyway, I tried. <laughs> We're to use time for his glory, and, uh, and yet that's a challenge, isn't it? That, I think, in fact, that wise use of time is one of the biggest challenges that we all face all the time because God gives us time and we're supposed to use it wisely. And yet, it's easy to get really stressed out and, and tense about trying to do more than we're supposed to, or to become lazy and slothful, as in the book of Proverbs, and do less than we're supposed to, or to misuse our time and just fritter it away rather than using it for God's glory. But God created time, and, it's, and just like tea and bananas and rabbits and asparagus, he created time, and that's an amazing thing, and it's also, just like we should use other parts of the creation wisely, I think there's an obligation for us to redeem the time because the days are evil and to use the time wisely, as it says in Galatians.
The work of the Son and the Holy Spirit in creation. Um, it was all three members of the Trinity involved. God the Father was the primary agent in initiating the act of creation. The Son, however, is the active agent in carrying out the plans and directives of the Father. So uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God in John 1. All things were made through him, that is Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus was actually present, the Father working through the Son and being involved, and uh, Colossians 1 talks about that too. And then the Holy Spirit is generally pictured as completing and filling and giving life to God's creation. So really in Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here we have the Father commanding the Son, uh, uh, fulfilling and acting, and then the Spirit of God being present and hovering and kind of preserving and ordering and protecting the earth from the very beginning. Hebrew ruach, spirit, can also mean breath or wind, and even when it's sometimes translated this way, um, it seems to be a figurative reference to the Holy Spirit. Um, and so uh, here we get the Spirit of God, and I think other passages. The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life, says Job, with respect to the human uh, beings. Uh, all human beings, I think, giving, having life from the Holy Spirit. Later in Scripture, the work of the Holy Spirit is given greater prominence in inspiring Scripture and applying Christ's redemptive work to us. But even in creation, the Holy Spirit was work at work along with the Father and the Son. Now, creation is distinct from God, yet always dependent on God. Um, this has to do with the picture in our minds of how we, view, how we view and think of the creation all the time. And there are, there are mistaken views that are out there in the world. And the view that the Bible pictures for us is that God created the universe and the two circles mean that God is distinct from the universe and that there's a line connecting them which means that God is always involved in the universe and if you keep that in your mind it solves or it, it answers a lot of false views and so um, God is transcendent. He's above creation, the God and Father of us all, who is over all and through all and in all. So he's over it, but he's also involved in it. Non-Christian religions make one of two mistakes. They either don't have God involved in creation, they see him very distant and impersonal, or they make God part of the creation. And so he's not infinite. And he's not removed. And the Bible has him both transcendent and eminent, or infinite and personal, and I think it's only the religion of the Bible, that is Judaism in the Old Testament and Christianity in the New Testament, that has God both infinite above creation and personal involved in it. So um, God is imminent, that is, he's very much involved in creation, for it's dependent on him. In his hand, 
is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. He holds our lives in his hand. He himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He gives us life. He gives us breath. And, and the sun, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word of power. This word upholds, Greek verb pharaoh, it's, con it's a present tense verb carrying along, carrying along the verb, uh, carrying along the universe by his word of power. I think that means that Jesus Christ is constantly involved in maintaining the properties of all the created order so that he's keeping this wood acting as wood so it doesn't just turn into mush or vapor or something, but it, it sits here as a prop for a play. And, and, uh, and he's, caring, he's preserving it all, and so he's involved in it, and it's dependent on him. And this is distinct from materialism, which would say that the material universe is all there is. So alternative viewpoints I could put up here. Materialism would say, this is the sum total of reality, universe. Universe. That's all there is. There isn't any God. There's nothing here. And that's, that's kind of a secular viewpoint. There's no God at all. We're just what we are, we are, we are, and we die, we die, and that's in. That's materialism. Do we tend to slip into that if we focus our entire effort on earning more money, acquiring more possessions, become practical materialists, if our lives wouldn't be different if we didn't believe in God and people just accumulate stuff and don't give anything to the Lord's work and just use things for their own pleasure and never care for others, then that's, I guess that's working out to be practical materialism. So we should, you know, we should be warned against that. That, that's a wrong view. There's another view, and that is that, uh, that view of pantheism, which says the whole universe is God or is part of God. And so here, that pantheism view would be that the universe, you, universe, I'm going to put uni, universe equals God. And every, the trees are God, and animals are God, and you get this in some you get tendencies toward that in some Native American religions where they're worshiping the cactus, the saguaro, you know, so, and, uh, and uh, worshiping uh, plants, and, and, and you, get it in, um, you get it in Eastern religions where you try to, or Buddhism, you try to blend into the universe and get rid of all your desires and become one with the universe, and uh, because the whole universe is God. And, um, well, that means that God has no distinct personality because what personality do trees have? Not much. And, and God, I mean, you can imagine things. But, and then God changes with the universe because it's kind of whatever the universe is, God is. And then you've got evil in the world, and then, well, is God partly evil? And, and that's really confusing. And God is no longer holy because of evil in the universe. If the whole universe is God, then, then, the, then, the, uh, then, the, then the tornadoes and the fires and the floods and the hurricanes, those are God too. And the, and the lions that, and, the, and, the, and the bears that go and eat people, those are God. And you see, everything has to be God, and you've got evil and good as well in God. And the importance of individual human personalities is lost in the goal of blending into the universe. And the more the influence of Eastern religion and Eastern culture permeates our society, the more this is kind of we worship the universe, we don't touch it, nature is, is, uh, is the thing to be worshipped, and, and human beings become less and less important. And uh, I, I think that's behind some radical environmentalism, and that's why the Mosquito Control District back in Libertyville, Illinois, didn't want to destroy the mosquitoes, because mosquitoes are important for birds, and birds are more important than human beings, at least... That was, I think, the mentality going on when I was arguing with the guy in the Mosquito Control District saying, why aren't you killing the mosquitoes on our neighborhood anymore? And it was kind of a don't touch nature because I think behind that was a kind of a hinting at pantheism. 
so that's different. The scriptural account also rules out dualism, the idea that God and the universe have eternally existed side by side. That is, the picture I have here has to include the fact that God created it, and, it, and uh, it's dependent on God. But dualism would be, here's God, and here's matter, or the universe, and they have always both existed. So that uh, there's really an ongoing contest or conflict. Is, is God going to rule over the matter and the, and the material universe, or is good going to rule over evil? Both have always existed. Nothing has ever changed. There's been dualism, and dualism indicates an eternal conflict with God and the material universe. It denies God's lordship over creation denies the universe was created good, encourages the view that the material universe is somewhat evil of itself. And uh, this is kind of the philosophy behind Star Wars movies, which I love Star Wars movies, but uh, the philosophy behind it I don't love, and that is the universal force has both good and evil sides. There's the dark side of the force. What's the force? Well, it's kind of this vague, impersonal stuff. And you, you use the force, Luke. Use the force. <laughs> What's the force? Well, it's kind of this impersonal, this, this powerful thing in the universe. And oh, Darth Vader, he went over to the dark side of the force. Because you don't know whether the dark side or the light side is going is to win. And we still don't know. Because aren't there more movies coming out? I'm not sure if we still know if the dark side or the good side is going to win. But maybe we do. <laughs> but that would throw you into sort of despair, too, because you don't know. If evil has always been around then who's going to win? God has never been able to defeat it yet. Maybe he never will. Maybe it'll win. So, that, so this view of the crea that God made it and it's good and God rules over it, that creates, that, that corrects materialism, it corrects pantheism, and it corrects dualism. It also, the biblical account also rules out deism. Deism is the idea that God created the universe but is not directly involved in it. A lot of people who believe vaguely in God are kind of deists today. And they would have this view. You've got God, and then you've got the universe, and we're down here in the universe. These are people. But there's a huge gap here, and there's no connection. God really isn't involved. He's kind of long ago far away out there, and maybe we'll have involvement with him someday. This view, a view of, affirms God's transcendence, but it denies biblical history of God always directing the effects of the affairs of the world. Many lukewarm or nominal Christians are practical atheists since they live lives almost totally devoid of genuine prayer or worship or fear of God or moment-by-moment moment trust in God for daily events or needs that arise. And so this, uh, this deism is kind of like being an atheist because you say, well, there probably is a God, but he doesn't have anything to do with me. And we can, you know, we can be warned against just slipping into that kind of idea, too. Okay, so that is all the farther I got today, and we really should, we really should stop, but I'll see if just like one or two questions, and then we have to get out because kids' stuff is coming in here, or... Or am I, do I need to get out right now? Yeah, we need to I need to get up. out right now. Okay, yeah. let's, let's close in prayer. We'll just come back next time and, um, and, uh, and pick up from there. Lord, we give you thanks for the good things that you made, the, uh, the trees and the flowers, the waters and lakes and oceans, the clouds. 
the, uh, the food that we eat, the animals, for our enjoyment and benefit and companionship and us. And thank you that you've created us with an amazing ability to, to worship you, to know you, to give thanks to you. Lord, as we go through this week, we awaken in our hearts greater awe and wonder at your incredible skill and wisdom in creation and awaken in our hearts just greater love and worship of you for all that you have made and trust in you as you manage and direct the affairs of our lives. Amen.